What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. Today's guest, John Briggs, the author of Profit First from Micro Gyms and the owner of Insight Tax, I-N-C-I-T-E. We're going to talk about a four-letter word that actually has five letters in it. Money, 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 money. Money. Didn't know I could hit that high note, did you? Uh, money is a word in the fitness space that is like, I mean, it's like anthrax. You're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to eat it. You're not allowed to have it. You're not allowed to want it. It's bad. Taboo, taboo, taboo. Um, well, you need it. And one of the things I like to say is you might not have gotten into the fitness business to make money, but you're in the fitness business. And if you want to stay in it and you want to be great at it, it should be the only thing that you're willing to do for money. Get yourself there and you'll have plenty of it. In today's podcast, I talked to John Briggs about what to do with it. So at the end of the month, if you have $2,000 left over, but you haven't paid yourself a salary, your gym is actually not profitable. So getting your gym to be profitable isn't good enough. You need to have net profit in your gym. There's a difference between revenue and profit. We talk about that. We talk about how to put money in your front pocket that the government's going to see and take some of and put money in your back pocket completely legally that you don't pay taxes on. And John even drops a tip about how you can save three to six thousand dollars a year without changing anything about the way that you run your business or acquiring a single additional member he drops that one at the end don't be a fool and fast forward to it listen to the whole episode make more money have a more fulfilling life sleep better at night know you're gonna be able to pay your staff and yourself and run your gym turn pro let's get you to john we're gonna get to the show in a minute what I want to talk about first is the new Active Life Enhanced Assessment. We've been getting a lot of questions from you about what do I do when it bothers my knee when I squat, but not when I do anything else. And you're not necessarily ready to work with us as a one-on-one client, and we totally understand that. We've gotten hundreds of questions just like the one I just said. My knee hurts when I do this. What should I do about it? And The honest answer is always, it depends, and we need to ask many more questions to give you the best answer. We decided that the best way for us to help you with the thorough answer to those questions is to develop a product, a service that can help you. So we came up with the Active Life Enhanced Assessment. This is a four-day process in which you go through the similar assessment to what our one-on-one clients go through. You get to talk to one of our staff members about what it is that they found on your assessment, and they will give you instruction on how to overcome the aches and pains that have been plaguing you for a long time without going to the doctor or missing the gym, if it's appropriate for you to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into our Active Life Enhanced Assessment, go ahead, check out the link in the story notes, the show notes, excuse me, and we'll see you there. John Briggs, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Thanks for having me, Sean. I'm thrilled to have you. I, w- I first was told about you, John, by Andrew Frezza, who is the owner of Fit Town Jupiter, formerly uh, CrossFit Palm Beach. And he runs a company called Seven Figure Box, Rockstar Coaching Course. And he is just a consummate, consummate, consummate professional and a gentleman and someone who, frankly, I'm proud to call a friend because of how much respect I have for the way that he runs his business and his personal life. And when he told me, you got to, you got to talk to John Briggs, like what he did is amazing. I'm just like, okay, yeah, 
I don't need to hear anything else. <laughs> well, good. Hopefully, um, I don't let you down then. Ah, uh, Andrew's great. Uh, I had the chance. I He was one of the financially fit gyms that I was able to analyze for the purpose of my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a great operation going down there. Yeah, he's... Uh, yeah, he's a he's a very 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 awesome gym owner who has very awesome staff. Like, I don't we don't need to meet the whole podcast about Andrew Fraser, but Andrew, <laughs> we love you. Both of us love you. So, John, the reason I'm most excited to talk to you is because there is a four figure a four letter word in fitness that actually has five letters. It's called money. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. almost like in, in, in the health and fitness space, it's like, I, I didn't get into this business to make money is this badge of honor that people wear that I actually, I actually call a sucker stamp. And it's like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for the narrative. I didn't get into this for the money. You got into this because it's the only thing that you're willing to do for money. So be great at it and make a bunch of money. Why is that a problem? So you're the money guy. I want to talk to you about money. Yeah. And it's funny when you say that, um, it actually, I feel like goes further. It's not just this badge of honor they wear where it's like, yeah, look how much I'm sacrificing. Um, because of what gym owners do, I believe they have the greatest power to change the world than any other industry. Mm -hmm. If the rest of the world were able to increase their health, I think about all the efficiencies that now happen throughout the entire economy to getting rid of corrupt organizations that push unhealthy foods and a pharmacy comp industry, like all that stuff goes away if the world becomes healthier. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's a great value that the client receives, there's a natural inclination to feel a element of charity, which is totally great. You like, I think most gym owners are charitable people, but because of that belief, they've almost taken it to the extreme where they don't believe they deserve to be profitable. It's like, I'm changing their life. That maybe should be reward enough for me. Hmm. Well, actually, no, it can't be <laughs> because if you want to continue to change more people's lives, you actually need cash flow. You well, need money left over to keep doing it. And I think that the other side of that, John, that, um, the gym owners struggle with that I've personally struggled with is how can I possibly help somebody and ask them for money that is uncomfortable for them to spend at the same time? Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned something that I think is really important. I would love to start to dive into it a little bit. It's you need cash flow in order to help the next person. I want to avoid glossing over what is cash flow. Okay. So as a company, your members pay you income. That money gets deposited into your business. That's cash inflow. And then you spend money, whether that's on your team members, your rent space, all your expenses are cash outflow. The money that's left over is really, we call that profit, but that's what we're talking about with cash flow. It's every dollar that literally comes in, not figuratively, or I sold this guy and, you know, he's going to pay me hundred dollars a month. So I'm counting on him paying me $15,000 or whatever. Right. Over his life. (laughs) It's actual dollars in the bank account and actual dollars leaving. That's what we deal with. We're trying to help owners be more efficient with that. So 
the next thing I would love for you to talk about is <clears throat> you mentioned the word profit. And as we know, there are two distinct types of profit. And I've seen, I've seen people market that they can help gym owners, coaches become profitable without acknowledging maybe that's not what the gym owner wants, <laughs> right? Like making all of this money and having all of this profit with a bank account that stays flat at the end of every month, or maybe even is going down, that's not the kind of profit that you want. So can you go into the difference between <laughs> gross profit and net profit so that people who are listening can understand how to look at those things differently? Yeah. And I think you and I have seen some of the same ads from the same people, <laughs> same <laughs> yes. stuff. Um, it's funny. I get to the point where I'll read these and I see the ad and like, Oh, earn more profit. And I, I just, I want to read their sales copy. I look at it and ultimately they're actually teaching the owner how to increase gross revenue, mm -hmm. not profit. Right. And so yeah, let's talk about that. So gross revenue is your top line money. It's the dollar amounts that your members pay you, period. It's that simple. Then sometimes accountants use the term gross profit. And in a gym, they might take some expenses against your top line revenue, such as uh, supplement sales, like the money you spend to actually buy the supplement that you then resell or t-shirts and things like that. Um, maybe to the extent even team members, depending on how you have your gym set up. So they take that out of your top line, they subtract it from that and that gets them to gross profit. Then another accounting term is net profit, which is then all the other expenses are subtracted from that money. And that usually is what people talk about as net profit. I, uh, I think anytime we can avoid accounting terms, it's better for the world mm -hmm. because I don't think accountants are normal people and they don't speak like normal people. So that's why I, for me, the definition of profit is I'm counting all the money coming in that actually hits my bank account. I'm counting all the money that leaves. The money left over is profit. And if you don't have money left over, that means you don't have profit. Now, when you're working with clients, John, do you observe the money that leaves and ask questions like, most gyms have the following line items. And for you, the, these line items are missing. Most namely, you're not paying yourself a salary. And so <laughs> the money left over at the end of the month that we're calling profit may not be profit when we build a salary in for you. It, can you talk about that? Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, Profit First is the name of the book. And my book is Profit First for Micro Gyms. But it really should, the title more accurately is Cash for the Benefit of the Owner First. It's just not as sexy as Profit First. Yeah. <laughs> um, right? And it's a little long-winded. <clears throat> so one of the first things we work with clients is we help them understand you as the owner are the most important employee of your business you have to pay yourself first. And I promise, even though as fitness professionals, they are capable of working and grinding more than any other owner that I've ever met. At some point, if they're not paying themselves a livable wage or even market rate wage, sometimes those are two different numbers. Oh, the market rate is not livable. <laughs> uh, if they're not paying themselves that amount, they are going to reach burnout. And then they're going to close their doors. They're going to give up. 
And now all the people they could help if they were paying themselves goes away. So the first number we absolutely look at, Sean, is how much are you currently paying yourself? And if it's not enough, we have to adjust that, which likely means they're overspending in other expense categories, which is super normal. Um, I don't, we'll eventually get into this. So let me share this part of Profit First now. Um, really Profit First protects us from Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law states that the demand for something will expand to match its supply. Let me say that again. The demand for something expands to match the supply. Would you? Let me give you a. I yeah. was just going to ask, I think you might be going there, but I would love for you to take the word something out yeah. and put something in. I'm going there. Okay. Let me share an experience I had with a door to door sales company. This company did $30 million in revenue. And the night before this experience, we had literally had our end of year celebration and we were handing out 10,000, 20,000, $30,000 checks to sales reps. Market banner year, yay, almost 30 million revenue. The, so the next day the president comes running into my office and he's like, dude, you gotta lock the doors. Don't let anybody know that you're here. I'm like, okay, as the controller, which is head accountant, typically a boring job. I'm thinking, <laughs> seems like he's being a bit dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what the hell's going on, man? He's like, well, all those checks we sent out last night, they're bouncing because the owner didn't get the million dollar loan he'd been working on. The company did $30 million and they needed a million dollar loan to pay the sales reps who are responsible for generating the revenue. And the reason this happened is because of Parkinson's law. They, I did this analysis for them and basically laid out for every sale that the company did, they kept $8, which for them was a 1% margin. And I said, we need to like stop spending all of our revenue. And I said, John, we don't need that. We don't need a budget. You're paranoid. We'll just sell more. Like, look, selling more at a 1% margin is not the solution. And that's why the company went bankrupt. As their income increased, so did their expenses. That's Parkinson's law. So let me replace the word something. You have, most gym owners have one bank account. That one bank account, think of it as a pile of supply. The demand for that, or in other words, your expenses will continue to expand until there's no more supply. That's what Parkinson's law is. And that's why Profit First is such a great system is because it gives us a visual reality that we have less money to spend than we actually do by putting boundaries around a lot of the main, the major commitments that we have as gym owners. Because um, if we don't do that, as your income increases, your expenses increase usually at the same rate, if not faster than your income, because you're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You're just, oh, money's coming in, I'm flowing, it's great. I just. Signed up for this marketing guru company. Now I, you know, $15,000 a month and I'm, I have a hundred new clients a month. It's great. You don't realize that you're spending more than that on ad copy. You're spending more than on that to replace the, your old members who are now pissed at the mm -hmm. people you're bringing in because it's not the same quality. Like, I mean, you know, um, there's oh, lots of examples. Oh, I know. I know the, you know, pay us all this money up front and then we're going to generate all these leads for you that we're going to teach you to sell at a customer acquisition rate of X, as long as we don't add in what you're paying us 
to teach you how to get those customers. Because when you do that, you're actually just about break even. Yeah. Better not lose anybody. Uh, yeah. I Unfortunately, I know all about all of the games that are being played. So how one of the biggest issues, John, that, that gym owners who we coach run into is how do I pay myself and how do I pay my employees? You know, what, what is the appropriate amount of money to pay? And I would love to tell you what we do so you can tell me, uh, no, I don't think that that's a wise thing to do and I can find a better way or so that you can say, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Is that okay? okay? Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing is I want to talk to what you were discussing before market wage for a fitness trainer as per the Bureau of Labor Statistic is less than $20 an hour. And when the Bureau of Labor Statistics figures out how much money a fitness professional is making, they're not accounting for the work that they're doing when they're not at the gym. And anyone who's in the fitness business knows there's at least 25 to 30% more work outside of the gym than there is inside of the gym working with clients. So you can bring that number down to like 15 bucks an hour. That's a problem. You can't pay yourself market rate and continue to own the gym. Um, what we teach gym owners about the way that they need to pay themselves and their staff is effectively that most financial advisors are going to tell you that you need to spend no more than 30% of your monthly income on your place of living, right? On your housing costs. So look at what you're paying for housing. Look at what it would cost for somebody to move to your area, to work for your gym, to live within 10 minutes of the gym to live in an apartment or a house that you would be happy to live in yourself if you were in their situation, meaning you're single or whatever, you're married without kids, whatever the deal is and say, okay, well that at most, whatever that costs needs to represent no more than 30% of what I would pay them to come here full time. If I want to occupy all of their time with labor that I'm providing to them, meaning they're not making half of their income on upsells that they're entrepreneurially selling. Do you follow me on that? Uh-huh. And they need to think of themselves the same way. They can't pay themselves, you know, something where wherever they live costs them 70% of what their pay is unless they're looking at where they live and they're like, maybe we don't need two kitchens. You know, sure. I'm curious to your thought, your thoughts on that as a baseline principle, like a guiding principle. It's not, locked tight. I think it's totally fair. And the reason financial advisors recommend 30% of your income going towards that is so that you have an enjoyable life. Because I can tell you the clients I have, they're spending 50% to 80% of their income on just their housing are stressed out human beings. Mm -hmm. And I know, especially in the fitness world, if someone's stressed out, they cannot provide the full benefit to the client. So like in order to fully show up, you you want to remove that type of stress whenever possible. So I like that approach. And I'm imagining then maybe your next step is you reverse engineer that into, okay, if I have to pay my coach X, that means my services need to be X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then if my services need to be X, this is what I need to provide. So I like that. Like, I think too many times gym owners just jump to, oh, the guy down the street's doing this, or Bob told me I should charge this. Mm -hmm. Well, they never asked, like, you don't know where they got their information from. Um, Nor do you I know if they're winning. They, they might be, they might be right. failing. Um, so I always like the idea of reverse engineering how much you need to charge for your services 
Um, whether that's you take, you start with paying your people that way, or you look at your overall expenses. Um, but I love this approach because it's really fair to the coach who ultimately as an owner, I think of my team members as my clients, as the owner, I want to serve them. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, I love that you say that, by the way, I should probably take into consideration their livelihood and their yeah. state of mind and, you know, all those things. Well, I love that you say that because there's too much thought out there, in my opinion, that, that the number one priority for the coach should be you because you're the owner. I'm like, no, the number one priority for the coach should be the member. The number one priority for the owner should be the coach. Yeah. And when that happens, the members pay their money, which takes care of the owner. Yep. At least that's my, that's my philosophy. It's a hard one because it, you have to abandon scarcity, but it's a valuable one, I believe. So this leads to the, the follow-up question to that, John, which is, well, my gym is making $9,000 a month right now. I can't afford to pay somebody $4,000 a month to work for me full-time, but I want to have great staff who want to be here full-time how do I do that if I don't have $4,000 to pay them and it costs $1,200 to rent a one-bedroom apartment in the towns around my gym? Yeah, well, they uh, need to increase their fees, likely. Um, a lot of times it means they need to change their marketing message because the previous marketing messages were getting clients who weren't willing to pay higher fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can tell you when, when I bought into my failing gym, like oh, we, oh, when you bought into your gym that was failing when you bought into it or when you bought into your gym that's currently failing? It was failing when I bought into it. Um, it's still failing, to be honest. And, you know, I have my reasons for that as well. Uh, well but we, we, I, we can talk about that off air. Yeah. Maybe the, we can help you with it. The members that existed in the gym, I mean, we've almost replaced all the coaches and the members from when I first bought in. We have a handful of members who are awesome and they're still awesome, but man, when you don't run your gym the right way, uh, you end up dealing with a lot of PETA clients, pain in the butt clients, you know? What is your, what's your definition of the failing for a gym? Cause it's surprising to me a little bit to hear that your gym is not doing what you would like it to be able to do, given that in the, especially in the micro gym space, you're the guy to go to, to talk about how to use your money in the gym. Yeah. Um, to me, it needs to be profitable. Okay. Like period. You have to have money left over every month. And so we don't, we, we're still living the sins of the previous owners. They moved from a 2000 square foot facility to a 5,000 square foot facility. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we just, we cannot fill it. We'll talk off air about how, how I think you can maybe do that. (laughs) Um, but, but, but going back to what you were describing before, what you're getting at is you can't afford, not you, the proverbial $9,000 a month, the full-time would be $4,000. Well, you cannot afford a full-time staff member yet then. And that means that you're the full-time staff member if you want one. I mean, is that, is, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's fair. Or you can only afford, like at $9,000, I would say the most, at least based on financially fit gyms that we analyzed, the most a financially fit gym would pay to team members is $4,050. Mm-hmm. So you could potentially afford one full-time person, but you'd be asking that full-time person, like they would be your coach. They would need to coach all, all the classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's fair, then that's fair. But 
there's other tasks that need to happen, you know, marketing, meeting with members and things like that. Right. Uh, and, you know, even, even at that rate, as an owner, you're not making $4,000 a month. No. Well, what you're building there is effectively, you're saying COGS need to be 40% or below cost of goods yeah. sold. And cost of goods sold, if you're listening, is essentially a coach is delivering the service that is the goods. So what does it cost you to deliver the goods? Whatever you're paying the coaches in a gym is effectively going to be your cogs. And you're saying aim to have that below 40%. So my question to you on that is what about when the coach is selling things of higher value than standard gym membership. So let's say for example, a coach sells personal training sessions because one of the things that, uh, that we speak about is that there is no flat percentage that you can pay your staff and just say, yeah, this will work every time. Because if you're selling a a personal training session, for example, it's $70 and the coach is getting 40% of that or 45 or 50, there ends up being this, this, uh, internal conflict around the stress of making the sale, the stress of asking for the money, the extra workload of writing the sessions and maintaining the client and the perceived reward of only 30 to $35 for doing it, not being worth it. And so what we talk about is if the gym, let's say a gym charges $70 for a training session, John, and right now they need to keep 39. They say, that's our number. We need $39. If the gym charges a hundred dollars for the same session, why would the gym need to make more than $39 when the session price goes up other than to cover things like the additional credit card processing fees and the increased employment tax, which would be accounted for? They wouldn't necessarily need to. Um, so are, it's just easier to, when you're analyzing a company, look at the percentages as I compared all these financially fit gyms. The reality is the most pro- profitable gyms that were successful. And according to the owners, the coaches were happy. They were actually in the 25% range. Yeah. For, for, so I didn't interview all the coaches to say, Hey, is this true? Do you like working here? All mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and within those huge variety of gyms, some paid on a percentage, others paid flat fees. Others gave like 75% of the PT um, revenue to the trainers, some gave a hundred percent, some well, gave 20%. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I have found, at least in my opinion, I don't know if there's a one set formula that needs to be applied to determine if your uh, personal training is profitable or successful in your mind. Um, cause again, we're looking at the total cash flow of the, we were looking at the total cash flow of the gym for this analysis, not necessarily mm-hmm. profitability per revenue stream, which is really important. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily agree with paying hundred percent. Well, no, I, I, look, I get, we, we're the company that coaches recognize advocates for coaches to be successful, uh, sometimes at our own detriment because gym owners believe that we're suggesting they should just hand it over, which we're not at all. Um, What I also believe is that the gym should have predictable and healthy profit margin on cost of goods sold in their fixed expenses. I think that it's okay to let that profit margin slide on variable expenses as long as there's a profit margin every time that they're selling a good. 
So for yeah, example, right? So their overall cost might end up being 50, 55% going to staff, even 60% going to staff, but no gym owner cares if they're making a hundred thousand dollars a month and only there's only $40,000 left for them at the end of the month. No doubt. Right. So, um, I think that that's where, go ahead. I was gonna say, so like, uh, on these ones who are paying 75 to a hundred, uh, what you kind of just said, I'm just going to restate in a different way. Basically their group training models, the other ones that weren't variable or the higher level services, they were earning enough income from that to more than cover their fixed expenses. Right. They need to, so they didn't need the personal training income to cover that. Therefore they could provide a higher percentage to the coaches. Mm-hmm. But and, I don't, go ahead. and on the same time, they also required more of the coaches, as you talked about, there's work outside. I actually don't think all gym owners have gone through your training to necessarily uh, ask their team to go above and beyond what they're doing in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously those who are making a higher percentage are doing like, I mean, they're going above and beyond what some gyms I see do. Oh yeah. Um, we're asking the gyms that we work with to bridge the gap between fitness and healthcare. You don't do that by offering a good group class. <laughs> All right. You know, I mean, you, you start that way. You know, there's, there's, we, we talked about it on a, on a previous podcast that there's three different kinds of models that we teach gym owners to run. One of them is group with some personal training. One is one type of group, another type of group that's more expensive and some personal training. And the third is all higher value group with some personal training. All three include personal training because I believe that people need individualized solutions to individualized problems. But so, so um, to move past us, I want to I want to keep it on on you. Do you think that it's the? Let me rephrase that. I believe that it's the gym owner's responsibility to make sure that they're making enough money not the coach's responsibility to take less because the gym owner's not making enough money. You know what I mean? Like if, if I was going to move to coach somewhere, forgive me for not caring how much money you make every month. I'm going to move to coach there. I need to make enough money to make that move. Make sense. What are yep. So, okay. Um, so because, and that's why I like the profit first system is because it's designed to help the gym owner see how much money they can benefit and take home and like profit distributions for themselves. It helps them see all of that. And as long as that's in place, then it's easy for them to say, well, this is my structure on how I do things. Uh, And the coach can decide, look, it's not worth it. Then the gym owner, then there's that learning moment for the gym owner where it says, okay, this guy seems like an A player what do I need to do to make it worth it? And then does that allow me to still make the same amount of money? I mean, ultimately the owner's the one who's deciding how they're paying their coaches. And if you want good coaches, you better decide to pay them well. Well, and the other thing is if gym owners, the thing that I, that I see a lot of, and I imagine you do too, in all businesses, gyms, especially though, ugh, I got to pay that person this much. If you're paying somebody to be on your team, The idea is they're a leverage asset, which means that person being there is going to increase the amount of money that comes into your business. So if I hire somebody 
as a coach in a gym, for example, I'm paying them a base of $4,000 a month. I am expecting my revenue to go up by more than $4,000 a month because that person is there. I'm, I'm expecting my net at the end of the month to be greater, even though I am paying more money out to coaching staff because that person is there. If you can't hire somebody with that belief, I don't think you should hire them at all. Yeah. And the other side of the token too, is if you hire someone with that belief and they're not doing it, then you made a bad hire. That's okay. As business owners, we all make bad hires. That's mm-hmm. how we learn how to get to the good hires. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, on both sides of the token, I think that's absolutely true. So John, let's say that you're running a gym and there's some profit at the end of the month. You know, you're, let's say that the gym is bringing in just to keep it um, approachable for most of the gym owners who are probably in the micro gym space. Let's say that the gym is bringing in $20,000 a month. Okay. And of that 20,000, 16 goes to cost. So your rent, your utilities, whatever fees you have with whatever associations you have, insurance, staff, all of those things, your own salary, it's all taken care of. At that number, you're effectively at a, what, 20% profit margin? Yep. I think that's pretty good for a $20,000 revenue. So it's, it's unlikely that that's going to be the case, but let's, let's just play with this out. As a gym owner, maybe you're paying yourself $4,000 of that money, not, not of the profit, of the cost. So outside of your salary, you have $12,000 of expenses. What do they do with the remaining $4,000 a month? Do they just turn around at the end of the month and say, oh, I get to take $4,000? What, what do they do there? So ultimately, it likely will be separated into different accounts. So with Profit First, we recommend, we call them the essential seven bank accounts. Seven. Seven. Yeah. It's actually not as daunting as it sounds. Um, Income account, team members, uh, owners pay, profit, tax, your income tax burden, operating expenses, and then equipment. So I'll just briefly talk about what those mean. The income account is as simple as it sounds. Like that's the one account that receives all your deposits. That's its sole purpose. So $20,000 hits that account every month. So the 20,000 is hitting that every month. And the reason we do that is so that it makes it super easy to then take the 20,000 in the income account. And we recommend either weekly or twice a month, taking that money and putting it into your different buckets. So that at the end of every day you sit down to do that, your income account now is zero, but you've put the funds into these different accounts. Um, Obviously team members, you want to pay them. They're, as you mentioned, basically your cost of services, uh, pretty important to pay them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Owners pay, you've got to pay yourself first. So that, that money, so your salary portion would basically be considered that out of that percentage. Profit, we think, as far as, as far as falling on the sword that we see these owners do, this is one of the ways to get over it because not only if you work in the gym, should you be paid for that work, that's owner's pay. You're also the one taking the risk of owning the business. Mm -hmm. There should be reward returned for the risk you're taking that your coaches aren't taking. That's a profit distribution. That's a return on your investment. And so once a quarter, we say take half of the balance in your profit account and give it to yourself. But the one caveat is 
we don't want you to spend it on the business. You got to use it for your own personal well-being, celebration, paying down debt, sure. But other than that, we don't really want you to then like plow it back into your operating expenses. Taxes, look, if you do this the right way and you run your business the right way and you listen to mentors like you, Sean, your business is going to become profitable. You're going to owe some tax. People like us at our firm can help you minimize that, but you'll ultimately pay something. The business should cover that burden. You shouldn't have to save money out of your $4,000 W-2 or your profit distributions to then cover the tax. Let's have the business do that. So that's why we set aside money there into this tax account. So can I, can I cover that for a second? Uh-huh. What, what John is describing here is avoiding double taxing yourself. So avoiding the business paying taxes and then you saying, okay, I took $4,000 this month. Now I pay taxes on that also. Is that, is that, is that what you're getting at? It's um, the, the, I mean, that's one way to say it. Yeah. Ultimately we want you to be able to live off of the $4,000 completely. Right. Instead of saying, I have to set aside a thousand of that. I really only can live off of 3000. Right. So the business is going to account for that and, uh-huh. and pay taxes. We want the business to account for that. Absolutely. Right. So the business would be looking at, let's say for example, profit is 4,000. Your personal income is 4,000. The business is going to say, okay, well based on 4,000 being profit and 4,000 being income, I have to put 2000 to 2800, something that your consulting firm would help somebody understand into my tax account in the month as well. Yep. And now taxes are paid. And if John does a great job and I end up paying less than taxes, we just put that towards profit. Yeah, exactly. You just distribute it to yourself. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, so great. Then obviously you have the operating expense account. That's the one everyone's already familiar with. You pay your bills out of it. And then equipment. We just know in a micro gym space, you're, you have wear and tear on your equipment. I don't, whether you use, not using barbells, are using barbells, have rigs, don't have rigs, rowers, whatever, your equipment's going to need to be replaced or repaired. Let's go ahead and set aside a small percentage now so that when the emergency happens, we don't have to stress out or go into unnecessary debt because we already have the money available. Or as that balance grows, it's like, man, we're really growing. I can add another rower. And that's going to mean I'm going to be able to add another person into the class or whatever it may be. The money's already available. So those are the different accounts on how we, we recommend managing the cash that way. So what you're doing there, if I'm understanding it well, is you're, you're effectively applying bookkeeping to banking so that somebody can understand, okay, these are my line items. These are my expenses every single month. And I need to contribute to them appropriately so that I have a clear view of the money that is or is not actually coming into the business every single month. And now there's no mistaking. You look at the, the profit account at the end of the month, every month, and you're like, yep, still nothing there. You're not profitable. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, cause if we go to the $4,000 profit example, usually what happens is that's sitting in the operating expense account. <clears throat> The owner's not going to distribute to themselves because they're uncomfortable and they're unsure of if they're going to need it or what's going to happen. They end up spending it. April 15th comes around. Hey, wow. You looks like you had a great year. You had $48,000 of net income. Uh, How the hell did I, I didn't have $48,000 of net income. What are you talking about? Where's that money? Mm -hmm. You spent it on other stuff that you didn't realize. So over the course of the year, that $4,000 is going to be split up in your profit and tax account mainly, 
uh, and then be sitting there so that once a quarter, you're distributing half of the profit balance. And then at the end of the year, hey, you owe $6,000 in taxes. Whoa, I got 10,000 saved up, sweet. I can pay my tax without stressing out. And I have another $4,000 I can give myself. And so what you're also describing here, John, is you get to a place where you have the money left over. This is kind of where John Briggs and Inside Tax say, okay, now you need a financial planner if you want to know what to do with that money to make it grow outside of the gym. Because when I hear you say you're not allowed to spend that money in the gym, my first thought goes to Robert Kiyosaki, who talks about you have your business and then you have your business. And even if you're a teacher, you have your business, which is what do you do with the money that comes into your household that doesn't need to be spent to run your household so that that money grows? And that's okay. So that's something that I've gotten into in the last uh, five years is, and I recommend this to anybody. And I imagine that you would in some way, shape or form as well. Even when you feel like you're not making any money, start investing money. Every little bit helps. I mean, if you look at just mathematically setting aside a hundred dollars a month now, mm-hmm. instead of waiting till you can set aside a thousand dollars, you'll be better off. Any little bit you can put aside now is always better. Yeah. And that's not into a savings account that's earning 0.08% no. interest and is soon to be negative. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, into uh, Denari. I don't know if you guys heard of that. I'm no. just kidding. No, Forex, Forex. <laughs> it's one of those like, hey, you uh, inherited a gold mine in Africa. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, better, don't do that. Better than we have your grandma hostage. And it's like, my grandma's <laughs> yeah, dead. Better than that. My grandma's dead. Stop sending the emails about my grandma that you're going to you're gonna kill if I don't send you money. She's been dead for eight years. <laughs> Um, okay. So, and grandma's not been dead for eight years and you know, whatever she's, she is dead though. Both of them, unfortunately. So, uh, getting back to money (laughs) when you're, when you're accounting for making sure that you make enough money to pay yourself and to pay staff and to pay taxes and to, to buy equipment, what do I do at the end of the year if I have a bunch of money left over in my equipment account? Maybe I put 5% into equipment every month and that's the, that's the thing I want. I want 5% of my money to mm-hmm. go towards equipment because we would say it depreciates over five years and whatever. And I chose five and five, whatever. We like um, 5% as well. Great. So at the end of the year, I end up having, I don't know, $20,000, $30,000 in my equipment account. I don't need any equipment. I don't want any equipment. I shouldn't empty the equipment account, but I also feel like leaving twenty, thirty thousand dollars just sitting there doesn't make sense either. What do I do with it? Yes, I love this, um, and I briefly talk about it in my book too, because I. This is where this is why managing your cash flow is so powerful. You're going to sit down and you're going to say, "Okay, I don't want to be in a scenario where if equipment does break down, I now have to like." Crimp and save and borrow money. Yeah, come out of my personal it. account and borrow from me from the gym. Yeah. So it's like, you might decide, you know what? I'm comfortable. If I have $5,000 left in that account, I know that's going to cover most emergency things I've experienced in the past. So now you're saying, okay, believe 5,000. Now I have 15,000 to play with what I want to do. Is there a piece of equipment that you could buy that would improve the experience of your members or allow you to, grow your gym or are you looking at buying the building that you're in or buying your space? Okay. Maybe that's going to be a future down payment. So you put it in some sort of safe investment so that when you need the down payment, it becomes available. 
Maybe you look at other personal investments. Uh, I mean, the sky's the limit on what you want to do with it, but it all needs to be productive towards growing your wealth. Not just, I wouldn't recommend saying, oh, I have 15,000. I'm going to go blow it in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So that's not a wise strategy. I, I don't think that's a wise strategy. Okay. Perfect. Um, I don't either, by the way. <laughs> um, so there's there's something that I've learned from both my my financial manager and my CPA. And it is essentially that there's your front pocket and there's your back pocket. And the front pocket is where you're going to put money that the government's going to say, hey, I see you put that money there. I get some of that. The back pocket is where you're going to put your money, where the government says, I know you have money in your back pocket. I can see that you put it there, but I don't get to touch it, right? So things like uh, self-employment IRAs, things like uh, life insurance. I, actually, life insurance might be taxable. I'm not sure. I, I, don't, I don't remember. But the whole life policies typically don't have a huge tax component if you okay. do it the right way. Right. So can you speak to ways that people can be taking some of their money to offset their tax burden where maybe they make a little bit less money today, like a seven, eight, 10% less money today, but they're paying 20, 30, 40% less in taxes. And when they go to retire or if they needed it, if they need it sooner, they have access to it. There's a pile of money for you that's living there, which also kept you disciplined and didn't allow you to put that expensive air filter on your car that you thought was going to make it sound super cool, but really just compensates for having a small penis and driving around town so you get noticed. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty specific example, but yeah. okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you have your IRAs, your SEPs, your simples, which if you don't know what those mean, talk to your financial advisor or a CPA, but they're effectively tax favorable retirement accounts. And you have two versions. You have one where you can put money in and you get a deduction in the year you put the money in. And when I say put the money in, what this means is you're saving the money. Say I have $2,000, I'm gonna save this in my IRA account and then I have someone else manage my IRA account and hopefully that $2,000 grows. If I put money in now and get the tax deduction, that means when I pull the money out some point in the future, I will pay tax on the money I pull out. Or depending on your tax break, which you should talk to your CPA to see which makes most sense for you, you can do a Roth retirement account, which could be a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k. You don't get a tax deduction now when you put the money in, but everything grows in there tax free, which hopefully will be a bigger balance when you pull it out and you don't have to pay income tax on it in the future. Right. So, uh, so those are really safe ones. But I have a, an example that if anyone's listened this far, they're going to be happy because this will save them three to $6,000 in taxes, depending on their tax rate. Because this is one of those things where you're actually putting the money in your front pocket. And based on tax rules, you can flip off the government and say, you don't get to touch this and tax me on it. So what we do, it's if you Google it, uh, a lot of people call it the Augusta rule. We call it corporate rent because that's what we use this for. And the way it works is you're going to have your business rent from your house for a monthly board meeting. And you can be the only one who goes to your board meeting at your house. That's fine. 
your business is going to pay you to use your primary residence to hold that board meeting, just like it would pay a hotel, conference center, whatever, like it's the similar costs. It just so happens that you get to receive that money. The tax rule says, as long as you don't rent your house for more than 14 days, and so that's why we recommend monthly, so it's only 12 times, you don't have to pick up the personal income for renting your property. Your business takes a rent expense just like it would if it rented from a Hilton or your city convention center. Rent expense lowers your taxable income. That money goes to your personal bank account. Tax rules say you do not have to claim that on your taxes. And so our the like nationwide average that we typically use with clients is 1250 bucks, which Total? is 15 $1,250. That's, that's annually or monthly? Monthly. So it's a $15,000 cash in your pocket that you don't have to pay tax on. And you can use it for whatever you want. It's your money, right? Because you get the rent expense for $15,000. It hits your personal account and the IRS cannot tax you on it. Interesting. So the IRS can't tax you on money that you earned from owning a home. Because for renting your home to a business. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And it has to be less than 14 days. That's the yeah, but, that's but, where the rule changes. Is, is there a number for the amount of dollars that it could be? Like what, what if I want to rent my house for 3,000 bucks a day, 14 days a year? So it has to be market rate. We have clients in New York, for example, and they can like New York City proper, like four grand is what they're doing. A month. So we recommend if 1250 seems low, go to like... I think they call themselves Verbo now. We've always VRBO, called it VRBO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any sort of vacation rental site, type in uh, the- Right, what would, what would your house like How many like? rooms your house has? Like you want to find something similar within a similar geographical area. And if they're renting a day use, if the night is more than 1250 bucks, then you can use that as your proof if you're audited why you paid more than 1250. I love that. I'm yeah. So my clients in New York, it's a $48,000 tax deduction. Yeah. That's a good tax deduction. I don't think it'd be pretty grand. That, I mean, that saves them like $12,000 in taxes. Yeah. That's nice. I, I want to look at VRBO and I want to see what a house in my town would cost for that, <laughs> even though it's, it's, it's illegal. So they might not be on there very much, but um, anyway, what, what I also want to get to with you here beyond that is there are people who are going to be listening to this and they're like, oh, that's great. Like when I make enough money to start investing and thinking about how to save tax money, I'll, I'll do all this stuff. But like, what do I do until then? And I think, I don't think it's unreasonable. And I would love for you to chime in to say, you have to make more money. You have like, not unreasonable. It, Absolutely. Th there's, there's only so much that you can do with, with the money that's coming in. You have to figure out how to make more money. And that's, that's what we do. Um, you know, by making you more valuable, we're not just going to make you more money just for the sake of making you more money, but you have to figure out how to make more profitable money. And then you can figure out how to make that money turn into more money. Yeah. So um, I go around and speak sometimes. And, and when I speak, one of the things I like to tell people is like, look, marketing isn't always the go-to solution to make your gym more profitable. It's definitely it, not. It's usually where people go to 
because it's the sexiest and they're the ones screaming the loudest in your ear. But that doesn't mean to say marketing can't be part of the solution. I can tell you from running a failed gym, we have our expenses as completely lean as possible. We frankly, and just so you guys know, I don't actually work in the day-to-day of my gym. I'm, this is what I do. I help gym owners. I'm passionate about helping gym owners, not necessarily running my gym. Um, and I have a business partner who also doesn't run in the gym. So we have a GM and he needs like, he's the one that we need to like meet with the members and sign them up and all that stuff. But, uh, like we're dialed in from an expense standpoint and we literally just need more revenue. Um, so I don't want you guys to leave thinking like, Oh, I just heard that I shouldn't focus on marketing. Uh, it can be part of the solution, but when you need to make more money, you need to talk to someone who's done it before. Like it's always good to rely on an advisor like Sean, because Marketing could mean I need to raise my prices for my services. It could mean I'm just not getting enough quality people in. It could mean I'm getting quality people in, but I'm not closing them the right way. I mean, there's like a variety of factors that affect your ability to increase your top line. And I've always found it better. Talk to someone who's done it before who can see the holes that you're not seeing yourself. So two things I want to, I want to touch on here. The first one is, um, when I'm looking at houses on VRBO right now, it's like 450 a night where I live. Can I still charge 1250? Yeah, outstanding. Uh, the second thing I want to bring up is for people who are listening to this, it would be a mistake to discount the kind of value that John and Insight could bring to your business strictly because John isn't experiencing the kind of success he wants in his gym. There's one thing to say, twenty thousand dollars came in. I know what to do with that. And another thing to say, I know how to turn that into 30, 40, $50,000 in the same business. And they are wildly different skill sets. And so I just want to make sure that people aren't hearing what you're saying, John, and discounting the value that you could bring to them because you're not running the kind of gym necessarily that they envision running. I think it's important totally. to talk about that. I, and I appreciate that. Cause the reality is if we didn't have a GM and one of us were working in the business, we would be profitable. Mm-hmm but we've consciously made the decision. It's, it's not our forte, it's not our skill set. Um, I would not be able to do what you are able to do. I would not be the best person to assess somebody who came in like, yeah, that looks like a good squat. Sweet. Let's go. You know, mm-hmm. um, not, I, I per personally bought into the gym so that I could understand gym owners better. I wanted to understand the stress of it. I wanted to, wanted to understand the story behind the numbers. And that's why I did it. Um, I didn't necessarily do, I mean, obviously I would have loved to have profitability Let's and not have it. to we'll do fund it. it. <laughs> I'll talk, right after this podcast is over, I'll ask you some questions. I'll give you some ideas and maybe we can help you. Maybe we can't sure. do it yourself. Uh, John, where can people find you? So uh, profitfirstformicrogyms.com is a great place to number go. number four or the word for? The word for. Okay. Profitfirstformicrogyms. Um or uh, insightstax.com is our tax firm's uh, web address. And that's I-N-C-I-T-E-T-A-X because it's like to incite a riot because we think the government sucks at spending our money. Not that I'm, I, I do not agree with the riots that happen. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do think the government sucks in, in most cases. And I don't care what 
political party you fall in general, my overall statement, they suck. Uh, So insighttax.com and uh, we have a bunch of free resources. Great. I appreciate that. Uh, And and I will say one of the more um, interesting thoughts that I've been able to come up with recently in the last two years is, yes, the government sucks at spending our money. If we can look at the way that the government wants us to spend our own money, we can give them a lot less of it because they end up with a partner, you know, and that's why buying into things like energy, housing, uh, you know, minerals has such radical tax benefits that it seems unfair. It's like, well, you're partnering with the government. They don't have to do it now. So that's exactly right. The government basically, they decide right or wrong what they want people to invest in and they give incentives for those types of things. And that's really all the tax code is. It's basically telling you, here are the things the government rewards and here are the things they don't reward. The tax code, if I understand correctly, is like two and a half percent. Here's how you get taxed. And then 97 and a half percent. Here's how you avoid getting taxed. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, it's also like 80,000 plus pages now. So yeah, I'm not trying to read that. John, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Life Podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now.